What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Books to Business podcast. This is Eddie Pinero, and uh, this week we have the Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss, and uh, it's a pretty interesting concept. He talks about the idea of the new rich and how maybe we're using the wrong metrics to measure success. He talks about different ways to look at how we work, to put systems in place to free us up and live our best lives. It's applicable to entrepreneurs and people um, you know, with more traditional desk jobs or something there for everyone. So I'm sure you guys will enjoy it. And uh, thanks for checking it out. If you uh, are interested, we have a free book club on Thursday. We'll put the uh, link in the show notes. Come hang out, ask any questions about this book or, or anything we've done before. So it's a good time and we're excited to have you. We'll talk to you guys soon. Welcome to the Books to Business podcast. This week we have Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week. Not five. Not five. I, this, this is take three. I said five. <laughs> he said five. Escape the nine to five, live anywhere, and join the new rich. I like that. The new rich. Who are they? Who are they? Well, that's what we'll be talking about today. Those are people that turned in their, their keys to the office for a better lifestyle. It's not about money. It's about time. It's about freedom. It's about mm-hmm. all the components. It's what you can do with money. Money is one avenue. And Tim Ferriss says there's better ways to get that and to get it quicker. So you're going to hear some things that probably in your mind are appealing. You're going to say, wow, that would be great. Making an amount of money that's not as much as you're currently making, but structuring your life in a way that you can do it in way less time and eliminate certain things and add other things that may be more enjoyable to you. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to take some decisions, and decisions are about cutting away mm. and living differently. So the, you know, conquering fear is one of the biggest, I think one of the biggest problems with making this jump you know, when you leave something particularly. Because if you go to a four-hour work week in any way, like if you're going to go to this particular model, you're going to have to disconnect from something, unplug from some kind of corporate narrative that you've that you bought into you know work for or go to school for 20 years 25 years in some cases work for 40 defer all that money to a time in life when you're older by the way 65 plus 50 percent of those people have disabilities so when you finally get there, there's a 50 percent chance you're going to be too sick to enjoy it right and he's putting a different spin on this what what could what could work as an alternative. Yeah, and, and it's applicable. That's one of the things he does, right? So like he talks about it in the context, obviously, of entrepreneurs and people that can travel and, and utilize what's out there, but also people that have, you know, a traditional desk job. There's a lot in there. Like I remember the first time I listened to it, it was right before I moved from Boston. It was, a, I mean, my business was in a very different place. Mm-hmm. And um, and so reading it again five years later, it's interesting that those, those um ideas they're still applicable they're just applicable in different ways right but there's something in here for everyone and he talks about specifically even if you are actually technically an employee there's a process you can go through to get liberated right to get some mobility in your life and some freedom and now we're with uh, a lot of people work from home and there's been enough time away working remotely for some people where they can legitimately demonstrate that there's a a business reason to consider that level of mobility and that's why it's important that you're very productive in these times. Because if you're not productive, they're going to eliminate you. Yeah. Right? Why don't we talk about that? Why don't we start with the, because to your point, you can't get where you're going if you don't detach from mm. where you are. So let's talk about the fear 
because one thing Tim Ferriss says is we disguise fear as opportunity, right? Like Kahneman says, we are loss averse. So what does that look like in practic- in, in, in the real world? <clears throat> it looks like us saying, oh, we don't want to quit because things will get better. Or, th- you know, let's keep things how they are because the money will come and it'll change everything. When in reality, fear is fear is fear is fear, right? Yeah. There's a quote here by Seneca in the, in the book. We don't go to Seneca much, but it says, set aside a certain number of days during which you shall be content with the scantiest and cheapest fare with coarse and rough dress, saying to yourself the while, is this the condition that I feared? Yeah. You know, being broke is scary, but it's not that bad if you're happy. And if you, if you can learn to live on less as a baseline, which you've done because you're an entrepreneur. If you're an entrepreneur, by the way, you learn this. If you, if you made the cut at one point in your life and you, and you drifted away from the security blanket of corporate America, which is, a, you know, is on top of you as that security blanket, you pay very dearly for that. Mm. The big part about being afraid is the uncertainty of that pay. Right. And if you go to the worst case scenario and work backwards from that, you can, if you can accept that you can survive there for at least a period of time, a lot of people uh, really struggle with changing their ways, you know, to getting rid of bad clients and losing income. They both struggle with that. Or uh, changing where you live and leaving friends or, or changing where you work and leaving, you know, something that's easy for you for something that you may not know you're good at mm-hmm. are all horribly frightening. Well, not to mention that the, those, those worst case scenarios rarely ever happen i mean yeah. sometimes you do get your you know your, your teeth kicked in but mm-hmm. rarely is the worst case because the reality is when you're in the situation you don't let that happen you know you adjust it's just the idea of it yeah. do you remember that list he made of like where he lists all the things that could go wrong and then all the things that can go right right and he compares them and he's like oh my god the upside is so big here why am i letting these little things yeah and the downside isn't that big a deal right, right. yeah it's yeah. all you can recover you can recover from anything yeah, the brain the brain loves those problems anyways. It's it's cool to be, you know, to speak to the Martian, the book I, I reference a lot in these times of captivity and limitations. Can you still make it and do well with limited resources? It's kind of an interesting test. Yeah. You know, there's a real estate guy, his name was Bob Allen. He wrote a book called Nothing Down. He said, Drop me into any city or town and when thirty within thirty days I'll buy a piece of property f- uh, for cash using someone else's money with nothing down. He wouldn't know anybody. He had that little challenge that he could do it. He just figured it out. Was he really good at what he did, or was it yeah. kind of like a... He's the one I quote a lot that, that uh, if you're ever thinking about doing something versus teaching something, he did real estate. I, I saw him live. He said, I've made, I've made millions of dollars selling real estate. I made tens of millions of dollars teaching people how to sell real estate. Mm. But it, it's about that. You know, this, if this is the big problem, the biggest problem you're going to ever face... It's a wonderful opportunity for your brain to connect to that, that problem where you know, you're not logging hours, you're just solving a problem. A lot of people find flow doing that type of stuff. I love it. I love trying to figure out problems like that. Yeah, the, and, and the trick is you never, those problems are, they're, they're, the, they're the good stuff, right? Navigating right. through that stuff. <laughs> but are. like a lot of people shield themselves from that possibility. And I think that's one of the beauties of entrepreneurship the three of us always talk about. It's like, you got to jump and like let yourself figure it out. Otherwise, you stay. The struggle is the good stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it is the good Better stuff. Way to put Particularly it, yeah. when you can find meaning in struggle, to speak to an earlier book that we had. What do you yeah. think, Steve? 
I loved it. I mean, I reading it again, like you said, was really interesting because when I first read it, I was in corporate as well. And I, I, I'm now looking back when I made my jump, this definitely had influence, uh, whether I knew it or not, and especially with the defining of the fear. Uh, because uh, when he mentioned those things, like how bad, like the worst case scenario of the IRS auditing him and he misses a letter or something like that, he's like, well, even if that's the worst case and I lose everything on my business, like there's ways to mitigate that. And until you like define that, it, it doesn't it doesn't really affect your subconscious, so it won't let you do it. But once you define it, then you're like, okay, not only is it not that bad, but two, I can mitigate it, so it probably won't even happen. Plus, the risk became bigger if he didn't make the jump. So that's kind of how I felt when I started doing my own analysis. Is like, if I don't make this jump, I'll never do it. Mm-hmm. And then defining what's the worst case is that I don't make this jump. Now I'm at this job in five years or ten years, and it's just like that was scarier than possibly going broke. That's what it came down to at my, in my own experience. So that was huge. That's a great point. Like, missed opportunity is a loss. Yeah. Yeah. That's an that's actual accounting term, lost opportunity cost. It's the cost that you could have, uh, it's, a, it's an ex, a gain you could have gotten doing something other than what you're doing. It's called that, that amount of gain is a lost opportunity, and so, that compounds. So can I ask you a question? Because this yeah. will probably be up your alley, and Steve, if you have any thoughts, too. I, like, I, I've wanted to make a video about this, and I've wanted to talk about it before, and I've never really come. How, how do you quantify that in real life? Like, how do you quantify lost opportunity costs? Uh, missing, missing a child baseball game. You know, Anything uh, like Missing that. an event, like a, the, you know, a graduation Missing your best years of uh, health, deferring all your feel all your like free time to the later part of your life. Uh, yeah. I mean, those are intrinsic. We spoke about intrinsic intrinsic value. You know, what there's time is to some people to the terminally ill person. Time is you can't buy it. But anything like that, um, you know, the 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 whole idea is you want to be part of the new rich, as Tim defines it. You want to not necessarily defer all of your future fun to a time when you may not be able to physically enjoy it and you're going to miss out what's the lost opportunity cost of missing out on the on the health and vitality you have as a traveler in your 30s versus a traveler in your 60s and 70s it's almost like you need a clock on the wall like literally an hourglass with sand coming down yeah Yeah. (laughs) you know what i mean to like yeah i mean uh, some people never, never traveled right yeah I mean, you're just, you know, you spend, tra- you know, once you start to get your business going, now you're traveling. Like, you're, imagine not doing any of that until you're, like, in your 50s and 60s. Yeah. I mean, what a loss. I mean, all the culture and all the experiences and stories you tell about these little trips we take. Like, we went to Cuba. I, mean, I talk about Cuba all the time. Like, all, anytime Cuba's mentioned, I said, oh, I've been to Cuba. I get, like, 20 questions about Cuba. Yeah, that place is awesome. Yeah, but I wouldn't have known that. You know, if I, if I waited until I was 50, first of all, I waited until I was 65. I may not ever make 65. King Who, might not have been there. Oh, the king. <laughs> Cuban king. We met this guy in Cuba called the king. We couldn't find anything. We found this cab driver, and he knew everything. He knew all the restaurants. He hooked us up. He was the king. And he told was the man, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, one, one thing to talk about. Let's say you, you, you're, you're fearing this, but then you, while, you're, while you're calculating the fear, you get fired from your job. Then what do you got to do? Live your life. Oh, right. All, <laughs> all these unemployed people right now, like they're, they're living it right now. So this could be good timing for them. How many times have you heard I got let go and it was the best thing that ever happened to me? Every time. Every time. <laughs> it's yeah. like it, like it never fails. Yeah. You know? 
I was, I was joking around about that. Like, there's a, a 0% chance you'll look back on your life and in 50 years from now be like, I should never have left that desk job. Like, everything went wrong when I left the desk job. It just right. doesn't, <laughs> doesn't happen. If you got let go, you're not very good at what you do. Like, Warren Buffett buys a company. The few that they do buy, they always let the management go. Because yeah. they only buy companies that are undermanaged, so they, they, they find value. So the management's always being let go. And all those people were underperforming, so none of them were happy. So they were happy. Berkshire Hathaway was happy. There's a new manager that could be happy in there. Um, but want to talk about the process. I think, I, I think we got five big ideas here. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. You know, the step-by-step process of being part of the new rich. Yeah. So want to make a deal? Because that's, that's the acronym he uses, right? He does. The deal acronym. D-E-A-L. Um, yeah, so let's, let's walk through D. that. Before, before we go into each one, they are definition, elimination, automation, and liberation. A deal. Cool. Deal. So let's start with, uh, yeah, definition. I think that's uh, how you define success. And I, you know, I use the, 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 the metaphor of a domino, and I always say you want to work backwards from amazing down to the single thing you have to do today. Like you want to reverse engineer that. And after you see the end of this, you'll say, you'll, it, may, it may prompt you to start thinking like, wow, I wouldn't mind that life if I could you know, take many vacations. That's one concept he talks about. Yeah. Like I, you know, in retirement planning, you say, oh, save 20% of your money so you have enough money when you stop working. And in, the, in, in his book, he talks about the, the partial uh, retirement, like do, taking a mini retirement now for a year and checking it out because you might find out that what you're saving for isn't what you want. Yeah. So that's that's like defining that. And that what you you took away from that's that. That's exactly it. Yeah, you 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 hit what you aim for. Right. And so you got to really sit down and think long and hard about what you're aiming for. Mm-hmm. And so the the point like you've already alluded to it, it's a point of the entire book. People want money, investment bankers, rack it up, you know, with 80-hour weeks and at the end of the day, what have you done with that? Right? right? So so when you redefine what happiness is, what your passion is, what you live for, um, then that opens the door for the approach to change. And that's mm. what the rest of what we're going to talk about. In almost every book, like Essentialism, there's always some element of getting rid of the noise, getting rid of the clutter. And in this, he talks about eliminating yeah. and recapturing time. Yeah. So when you get rid of something that takes time, you free up time. So eliminating and cutting away things. That's what I picked up from that. What you get from automation? Um for automation, so automation is becoming the ghost in the machine. Automation is is finding ways to um, utilize resources around you, so you don't have to be doing everything, right? Like right. the famous Warren Buffett. Is it, is it the Warren Buffett quote? What where your wealth is making money while you sleep? Yeah, I've asked I, that on I, this I, show before. I looked before. it up after we had that podcast, and it was Warren Buffett. It was. Okay. Okay. I think we got a. I think we got another. Remember that quote <laughs> from Man's Search for Meaning? We think it was like the fifth time we heard the quote claimed. Oh yeah, the who oh. was it? Um, I can't remember. It was a Kirk Kierkegaard quote and someone else. I forgot the quote. Look that quote up. I don't remember. I know which quote when it all is. else fails, just give it to Abraham Lincoln. That's what the internet does. <laughs> or Mark Twain. He comes up with some yeah. good ones. <laughs> Mark, uh, Mark Twain's the best. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just eliminating things that you do yourself. Either. Oh, I thought you moved to automation. We still on elimination? No, automation. Oh, okay. Yeah, automation. Okay. I mean, they're very similar. Like if I'm going to not cut my grass and I'm going to stroke a check for someone to cut that grass. It's elimination, but you're automating the process, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I mean, think, I think he's talking more so in the four hour work week techno- uh, technology. Yeah, exactly. Eliminate what doesn't need to be there. And when you have what does automate it. Yeah. Cause you have a, you have a business that once it's, once it's off and running that particular business model, you, you can live this very well. 
Very odd. I doubt you can yeah. do it in four hours with the level of perfection mm. that you put into your work and, and art, but you can certainly do it at a minimal amount and get a great result and, and, uh, and, ar- and create arbitrage, which we'll talk about with your, yeah. with your time and money. Yeah. Arbitrage is when you pay one thing for it and somewhere else in the world you can get a, a greater value for it. He calls it geographical arbitrage, but automation could create that. Um, and finally, liberation. Liberation, uh, basically the freedom to be where you where do yeah. you want to be. Mobility, yeah. Right? That's what I th- I got out of it too. Did you get that out of it? Liberation, Steve. Yeah, Mobility. I mean, all he talks about, like, I love that quote he has in the book where he says, uh, "Get paid in American dollars, live on pesos, and compensate in rupees." Did you hear that one? Yeah, that was yeah. so funny. That's like the definition of efficiency. There, it's like you get the best of all the exchange rates. Earn your money in in dollars pay for your services in pesos, like say you live in Mexico, and then compensate staff in rubies. Yeah. Like crazy. in India. Yeah. Imagine that. Smart. It can be done for sure. We yeah. do a little bit of that. But that's the deal. That's the four-step process. And if you're already an employee and you want to get some of this autonomy and mobility, you got to have the L conversation earlier with your employer. And at the end, we'll talk a little bit about what that, what that conversation might look like. That's kind of cool. I want to get your thoughts on this. Uh, there was a quote, or he mentioned like mediocre mediocre goals are more crowded. Like if you're shooting for a really high goal, it's the quote of best fishing. There it is, the quote. Yeah, up there. He who has a why can bear almost anyhow. Nietzsche, I think it is. But they say the best fishing is where no one goes. And I thought that was such an interesting thing because when you're leaving the job or you're trying to shoot for these really big dream life where you're completely mobile or anything like that, it seems like it's only for rare people or rare, it's very, you have to get very lucky, but he was actually saying that it's easier because there's less people going for it. I thought that was such an interesting way of looking at that. Yeah, it's, really cool. yeah, it's, like, a, it's like going into a bar and seeing three eights and a 10. The 10 might very well be easier to strike a conversation up with than the three eights because everybody else is scared too. Mm. And she's scared <laughs> if you're a guy, right? So that's kind of, like an interesting thought. And I've, I've seen this with high-profile prospects over the years. People you think are unapproachable are extraordinarily approachable. No one calls them. Everyone's afraid of calling them. Contrary to my college coach that used to say five twos is the same as one ten. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's tough. <laughs> um, but... but um, yeah, you can you can oh, never assume ever anyone's unapproachable. Never assume any market's not possible. Um, you know, because people that are re- are predictable are predictably average. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, doesn't isn't there actually a quote in the bo- in the book too, Steve, on that topic? Like, you know how at the beginning of every chapter he actually uses some some quotes from American authors and poets, and they're yeah. really good quotes, but there, someone says, like, if everyone's doing it, it's wrong. It was, like, flat out. Oh, right. Um, I'll look does that it. ring a bell? Yeah, it does. I was saying the best fishing one is kind of similar, because no, the, the best fishing is where no one goes. Um, but if it's, un, if it's popular, uh, don't like do that. it. Yeah. Something like that. Well, he had a good, I found, I, I was pretty impressed with his quotes. He had quotes I hadn't heard before that were really good ones. From like, from like Emerson and Thoreau yeah. and yeah, I mean, yeah. it's a well-researched book. Yeah, well, that's what he does. He, he spends, he said he spends his time that he likes work doing things, doing things that he likes. Here's one by Mark Twain. I'm an old man. I have grown 
great many troubles, but most of them never happened. Yeah. <laughs> Mark great. Twain. This, this one's like, I'm an old man. A lot of bad things happened to me, but they were in my mind. They didn't happen. What we fear doing most is usually what we most need to do. That sounds like, I don't yeah. know if that's Tim, but it sounds like that's been recycled a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing that I, I, I found interesting is that so much of the book is detailed on websites and tools. Right. He's dating the book. So like it's impossible to maintain. There's going to be 700 million editions, unless that's like an intentional thing. Yeah, his, his newest edition, uh, an Audible's updated from the one I have here. I don't know which edition that is. But I mean, these, the, the vendors are going to change. They're not a big secret anymore. So if you want to write a book, for instance, and you have a good idea, but you're not a writer, it, to find a, an author that wants to help you write your book and you can pay them and collaborate, you know, kind of a writing partner, th- it's very easy to find those resources now. When I first started looking a few years ago to do this, it was hard for me to find. It was almost like a secret uh, billionaires boys club. They would never tell you where the where everything was hidden. Did you ever oh, notice really? that with some online marketers when they they know how to do something, they they'll do it for you, but they'll never show you how to do it. In this book, he talks about how to be resourceful rather, and also use resources. It's kind of both at the same time because being resourceful means you can figure out how to get things that can automate your life and make your life easier, allow for elimination. And uh, you know, free up time, which allows for mobility. Yeah, I, di- I didn't realize until a few years ago how much very influential, well-known people of their work is outsourced and not done by them. You know, like mm-hmm. they'll, they'll rubber stamp it. Right. But it, I mean, that's been really an eye-opening thing. I know it's naive to not know that, but I mean, it's just I don't know why. I learned late. I assumed people did all that stuff. And my friend's a cook, and he he makes. He didn't have a microwave in his house. He's an Italian chef. He'd make everything from scratch, and then he went to work. His restaurant blew up. He went to work for a company that sold uh, or, uh, gourmet desserts, mm. and they were all frozen. It was, he was in such a conflict because they were all frozen. They were all amazing, and none of them were made from scratch. It was I like mass-produced. Yeah, you, you eat it, you're like, wow, these are great. And he had a big problem with it, so he wanted it all authentic. Yeah. Um, now there's a there's a whole a whole process of you know looking at you know in definition your money and and how it comes into your life and defining what that means to you. But money is only usable to buy experiences and things, things you can do, things you can have, things you can be. That money may is it may be a bridge to those things, but in a lot of cases, uh, he he talks about relative income versus absolute income. Yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah, I love that concept. Um, Absolute income is obviously the gross income. Someone making a million dollars is more successful than someone making a hundred thousand dollars, for instance. Right. Yeah, exactly. And what he does is he says, "Look, if someone's making you know a million dollars a year, but they're working eighty dollars a week, when you have someone making like you said a hundred or even less, but they're working five hours a week, ten hours right. a week, they are making more per hour." And they can do more and have more flexibility. And he's like, who's really winning, right? What metrics are we using here? goes back to the definition thing. Yeah, who's on medication for anxiety and depression? They have no free time, no outlet, no connection to nature because they're always in front of a computer and they're constantly under this toxicity of stress. Um, This cortisol is always in their body, which is a flight or flight hormone that helps you defend yourself when you're in danger. But if you're not moving and you got that, there's no way to get rid of it. So you see a lot of people that make big money that don't have a big life. And then you see people that make good money. You know, 100 grand's a lot of money. If you're being paid 100 grand in cash and you're living in Costa Rica on pesos and you're outsourcing most of your labor to, the, to uh, India or China or the Philippines, 
So you're, you, you have arbitrage happening there. So your, your, your relative income could be 3x someone making 10x what you're making. Yeah. It's a really interesting way to put it. Right. I mean, I, and that's, I've been guilty of that, right? When you think about yeah. financial goals, what do you think of? A number. Right. Yeah, you we know? get sucked into the, the, what, what's recognized. Uh, you know, is it, because hard work is rewarded with praise in our, in our culture. People that don't work a lot are, are considered lazy. Right. Right. <laughs> they really are. I'm not looking look at, at you for any particular reason. I was just, <laughs> no, I, you know, you're fast with things. So I was like, I don't think you're lazy. I think you're clever. You're also gifted. You know, you Thank can you. do something in two moves that some people take 10 moves. I'm not mad at you for that. I would, I mean, I, I admire that. Like it, sometimes it takes me a long time to figure something out, but sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes I can do something fast and, and get to doing things I enjoy doing. Mm a big part of my recreation you know making my new life creating a, a lifestyle that hadn't existed before that's what recreation means and eliminating things you know d d d deciding to get rid of things creating a new narrative not the narrative we were talking about and then lining up the dominoes and working backwards from what amazing is and this book like sang that song on my ears. I was yeah. like, wow, this is really good. Uh, I don't know whether or not you can do it in four hours because if you had all that extra time, you'd be bored, right? I really like that idea, man, working back from whatever your amazing is. Yeah, whatever that, and having that visualization because when we did the 12-week year, remember that? We were all like, what do we want? And everyone already automatically spit out numbers. Like, we need X number of subscribers or one, yeah. and a revenue number. But we, you know, with Brian's coaching, like, work backwards from, like, what do we see in our mind's eye? Like, we saw authors coming in. We saw a nice, amazing studio, more staff. We saw an example of a couple shows we might want to model, but not exclusively. But that's, that got me excited as opposed to a number. Yeah. Because all, all that happens with the numbers, you get there and you pick it up and look at it, you like, <laughs> you know, you, it doesn't mean There's anything. There's always a bigger number. Yeah. yeah. It, it, the first stop was always, was at 100,000. You know, at 100,000, I made more than my mother and father put together. And when I got there, I didn't make any, you know, I thought one number wasn't a bigger number. Like, they were work, working people, but it wasn't a, anything. It wasn't anything to be proud of. It was just a milestone of an accounting factor. It wasn't anything that was amazing. This is a quote that's exactly what you're talking about from the book. It says, excitement is more practical synonym for happiness and it is precisely what you should strive to chase. It is the cure-all. And I like that because he talks about happiness. It goes back to the definition of your success and mm. do things that excite you. And so when we did the 12-week year, we came up with the goals that really excited us, like you said, and I think that was a great way to approach it. Yeah, and looking at opposites, right? The opposite of love isn't hate, it's indifference. The opposite of life isn't death, it's living death. And the opposite of happiness isn't sadness, it's um, boredom. Yeah. Like, that was interesting. I, I like, that's worse than the opposite. You know, being sad is, a, is something you can get through, but bored is mindless. Uh, it's like a jail, almost. Hmm. He uses tears. Remember? He's like, when you're, when you're happy and sad, you cry. That just goes to show you that they're on the same side of the spectrum. Oh, wow. Like, wow. That's right. Oh, two sides of the same coin. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Yeah, that's interesting. I never heard that. Yeah, I'm not sure how correct it is, but still, <laughs> it sounds good. So talk about the, the, the concept of being effective versus being efficient. Yeah, so efficient is doing something quickly or being able to, to get something done in a 
you know, a decent manner of time, mm-hmm. right? Where effective takes into account, is it the right thing? Like, are you, are you doing what's pushing the needle or have you gotten, as he says, really good at doing the wrong things? Right. Um, so yeah, effective is, it takes into account. I, I think he defines it nicely somewhere, but uh, effective really takes into account the big goal, the mm. end goal. You're not spinning your wheel. Right. Doing something, while unimportant, doesn't make it important. Right. Yeah. And that's, you know... Efficiency versus effectiveness. He he also said in his book he referenced, knocking on doors, selling the door-to-door salesman. Can we talk about that? That's one thing I didn't understand because Mm -hmm. just knocking on doors is not efficient. That, that, it isn't. And then what would be more effective, I mean, he, the best door-to-door salesman in the world couldn't possibly compete with a big, a good email list. There's no way. There's just not enough time. That's why if... if um, oh, he was using his yeah, example yeah. inefficient. It's in a, it's, it's, it's a, he could be efficient and, and proficient in doing it correctly and get results, but there's no way they can be as, as effective as a good email list with a good sales funnel. Okay, light bulb yeah, on. Take it from someone who's done it. Like it's, it's, <laughs> it's not easy. It's hard, and if you do it well, you get rewarded better than almost everybody else that does things that they are comfortable doing. Um, but then if you take that and multiply, remember the, the multiplication of yourself, mm-hmm. um, which, which, which is in the next, the next principle is how do you multiply? What does he call that? The ghost? What do you mean multiply? Multiply yourself. He calls it the, the ghost in the machine. The ghost in the machine. Yeah. yeah. How do you eliminate yourself and multiply onto others? what you take from that? I didn't really get it either. Um, become the, the ghost. Yeah. Well, I think he just means you're not the body doing everything. You're the ghost setting up systems and relying on those systems to uh, effectively do what you need to do. You know, you're right. the brain of the operation. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's when he, he goes into outsourcing and he goes into utilizing a lot of different tools. Mm. And cause that's what, that's what, that's what this book is about. Really. It's about systems. Yeah. You know, putting yourself in a situation. And it's funny. You mentioned 12 hour work week, you know, it's, it's, incredibly important because if you don't constantly reflect and i mean constantly you end up becoming efficient at things that are not the 20 percent of what works Mm -hmm. you know what i mean right um the pareto yeah 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 because you can you can get as pareto says the great italian uh mathematician i think he was but you can get you get 20 percent 80 percent of results from 20 percent of your effort and you get 80% of your profits from 20% of your clients and 80% of the stuff you do doesn't work. So his, you know, the coaching would be why, why do the 80% of the things that don't work and why not work with only the 20% and either knock out that time to do what you want to do in life, which is probably the first choice for most people or double down on what you know how to do. I like that uh, story in the book when he was met that guy at the party and they were talking and the guy was really intrigued by Tim's like lifestyle. He's like, "How mm. do you not have like a like a set amount for income generation?" And then he the guy was making that he was talking to had was making a lot of money himself, so Tim kind of coached him a little bit and in a few weeks the guy was working less and making more. And he said one of the main things he had him do was just check in with himself if he was being productive or if he was just being active. Mm-hmm. And that awareness was like a huge step for that guy because there was a lot of times he was just doing things because he was used to doing them over and getting them done, but it wasn't produ- productive towards like accomplishing tasks or anything like that. I thought that was so cool. It's a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. I cut. 
cut, cut, cut. Yeah, that's the that's the thing. It's like, are you being busy? Busy being busy is lazy, is what I wrote down, which but is really busy. Also, can re- be related to the um, what's it called? Parkinson's Parkinson's um, law. Law. I think it's the law that you that whatever time you allot for something will be exactly the amount of time you use to get the task done. Yeah. Right. It's, it's also called the student syndrome. Like if you're a student, and a lot of students listen to us, and you got a term paper due, you'll do nothing until like three days before, and then you'll do it all on the last day. One of the ways to get out of that, if you combine Pareto principle and the Parkinson's principle, the law, um, shorter shorter deadlines for yourself. Make them shorter. That's what the 12-week year is all about. Yeah. You know, creating a shorter, instead of doing everything in a year, it's a classic Parkinson's law is you, you create a, you know, a shorter goal. He really advocates for that again and again and again in the book. Like when you leave something down the road um, or you have this big milestone, mm-hmm. things change and they become unclear and you, know, you become uncertain and it just leaves room for too many variables. Mm-hmm. So if you have goals that are choppy, short, succinct, you hit them. You know? yeah. and the last idea is just mobility. Let's talk about mobility. That's something we've been trying to live last year. Yeah. I want a more mobile lifestyle for sure. Well, flexibility is, um, I don't remember if that was one of the things, freedom maybe on... Uh, the liberation, yeah. What's her name? I'm drawing a blank. Brene? Yeah, her value. Like, it's just one of the most important things to me mm. to be able to do things on my terms. Um, right. Autonomy. Um, and, and that's a, a, a very important part of, of the new rich. It's being able to live life on your own terms. Mm-hmm. You know, what the nine to five thing, um, like we were talking about before we, we put the cameras on, you know, he says, um, why? Like, why nine to five? You know, it's, it's yeah, something that the world just decided on and now we do it. Like, it's, there's ample evidence that it's not valuable, that people don't work well that way, that it's not productive. People don't like it. Why? Do you know what sucks about the nine to five work, work life? Tell me. By a mile, the most thing, now that I don't do it anymore, is you, you don't, in a nine to five world, you don't get the nap. I love my nap and we're the only mammals that don't nap we force ourselves to stay up in fact when uh, the light bulb was invented we lost like four hours of sleep on average because everyone stood up because of the light bulb Mm because when it was dark everyone went to bed and then uh, the Romans did the nap it was uh, the word siesta which is a Latino phrase for taking a nap around Around between twelve and two, is um, siesta was uh, the eleventh hour sace. So the Romans used to sleep then, and the Latinos uh, adopted it because I, t- I look at naps have been a big part of life. When you're tired, all other mammals in the world go to sleep. When you're nine to five, you can't just knock out on your desk if you're in some office. <laughs> but that's the biggest thing that sucks about nine to five. Imagine, imagine uh, Boston in without light bulbs in the winter. It gets dark like three thirty oh. p.m. there. <laughs> So it's like <laughs> dark and cold. Send them suitcases and airline tickets. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> that was, uh, I always love when things are really indisputable. And I say the same thing about nine to five. I've said it's, just, it's not for me. I always say it's not for me. But one thing he put it in the book that I really like the way he said it, it was that how is every job, all the variety of jobs, all the variety of people living by the same hours? Like that doesn't make any sense. There's so many different jobs, so many different requirements, so many different lifestyles, and they're all going to go from this hour to this hour. It just mm. makes absolutely no sense. So that one really stuck out to me. Yeah. I mean, there's a practical reason. Yeah. You know, like I get the social contract and you got to get humanity on the same page somewhat. Yeah. But there's just, it's at the point now where it's like, 
we have the information and the data and I guess that's societally, but this is more individually. It's like, just get your ass out of it. There should be some flexibility at least. Like if it's nine to five or like eight to seven and then you can go in between, you know, it can't be just so strict. That's just crazy. Yeah. By the way, just to play devil's advocate, because I'm with you 100%, 100%. Some people need that. Yes. And like that. Yeah, really enjoy it. Some people want it. Yeah, exactly. Some people want structure. Remember, work on your weaknesses. You get strong weaknesses. Play to your strengths. Some people enjoy structure. Yeah. Their minds are just built that way. Some people get destroyed in structure. Um, you know, the, the, we talked about Drive 3.0 by um, Daniel Pink. Is that rewards punishment climate of the nine to five employee creates a lot of toxicity and restrictions and a lot of um, indifference towards their job, which ripples into lack of productivity. When you can create a, a intrinsic motivator and think about all these businesses that have an opportunity to look at quantifying results during this captivity, uh, some companies are going to discover that some people are more productive working from home than they were sitting in their office. They're not getting yeah. uh, the honeydews and the, and the uh, interruptions and the water cooler chats. And they can quantify that and eliminate real estate costs and add a lot of mobility and freedom to the employee. So if you're an employee and you've, and you've had a gain here, Tell your employer, quantify what you think has been the win of this. And if you ever desire working from home one day or two days a week, you can start to, to almost lobby for that and try maybe a little experiment with your employer for those that don't want to cut away immediately. Do you remember the puppy dog statement? Or I think that's what he calls it. Like it's, it was buried in there. But like, so basically ex- you're ex- that exact situation where you're mm-hmm. acting your empl- asking your employer for some type of leeway. You can put it in a way that's like, you know, oh, makes it sound like you're you're bringing some unique benefit to the situation yeah. as opposed to <laughs> highlighting the things that you'll yeah. no longer be doing. Yeah, um, which was cool. I the, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean that's he was he was. I remember one specifically where he was like, "I don't want to go to any meetings anymore. They're useless to me. Like that's one way to put it." Or it's like, you know what? I, I want to go to this meeting, but I have other things that will be more efficient if I get. Can I just miss this one? Yeah, okay. exactly. that's like the same question, but just totally opposite. It's all how you uh, how you frame it, right? Yeah. I connected especially with the exercise of have, do, and be. Mm. You know, what do you want to have? Like these are things, material things. What do you want to do? Like, I want to, I want to go places. I want to experience the uh, like the northern lights. I want to run with the bulls. I want to see the pyramids. I want to, you know, do seven continents in seven weeks. I want to travel around the world. And what do you want to be? What abilities or knowledge do you want to have? That's the coaching is always about getting these new abilities and knowledge through the books. That's why I love this this show. I mean, this is something I would do if I didn't get anything. But um, you know, that's a great exercise. If you want nothing else out of the four hour work week, go through that exercise. Yeah, it was really. If you cool. could wave a wand and money and time and location were no were no object, what would you what would you want to do different than you're doing now? Well, you think about it. Can I ask? Can I answer that question with a question? Oh, that's, that's how we trained you. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is Paris 101, yeah. Um, so I was thinking about that the other day. So you come from the north, mm-hmm. right, the, the New England, and this is like the most beautiful place you could be. People come from all over the world and they're here. Yeah. And so, and there's this like you're invigorated, everything's exciting and, and just, and then like anything, like we talk about, whether it's money, whatever, it becomes the norm. Mm-hmm. And so you find yourself in a situation where I don't know if it's wanderlust or like what it is, but like, 
you want more and you want new experiences and you yeah. want to push that and find that. And that just never goes away. Yeah. And it's almost like I feel guilty for feeling that way. Yeah. But this book really made me think like I, like I need to be out doing more, like doing, like getting out. Mm-hmm. Did you guys feel that at all when you read well, that? I think well, about that. Then we put it on the table. You and I are in a pool. We're in that pool in the hot tub, and at the, you know, in front of the beach. And we're saying like we could, you know, run the. We have a lease here. Run it out. Pack up our equipment. Get super mobile, super light. Take the show on the road for a year. Literally all could. over the world to like Zambia and and all the countries. We're in 110 countries right now. Like we can, we can go to, I don't know if we can go to Live 100. Shows. <laughs> We're number one. Where were we? Zimbabwe? He's his heart set on Chad. <laughs> yeah. no, I want to show up to a country and have them say, wow, these are the number one podcasters. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's Tanzania. Tanzania. Yeah. We were, number, yeah. We were number one there for a little while. They need hey, the building address. Someone's listening to it. I mean, there's people listening all over the world. You can see the spots, which is exciting, but that's on the table with the, the stadium that we put ourselves in because I called it the stadium swap when... I left corporate America. I wanted to get away from the grind, mostly. So I figured out some ways to eliminate the grind for people that are still there. I'm sharing that as a, as a business. But I also wanted to build a new stadium, uh, a new, with my rules. Because when you're in someone else's stadium, you got to play by their rules. So mm-hmm. the stadium swap's about changing your life around. It's a lot like this four-hour work week. Like, build a new stadium, maybe even a new sport. Because when Jordan went from basketball to baseball, that was a a sport swap too. So that was not only a stadium swap, but he changed sports. Bo Jackson did it. Um, uh, Barry, uh, was it Deion Sanders did it? Some people have done it and done it well. Uh, they just wanted a new, some novelty in their lives, so they changed. You did know, you know Frank Kona was Jordan's manager? Terry Frank Kona. Was he? Yeah. Oh, in, in the baseball, White Sox organization. Terry Isn't Frank that Kona. so funny? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tebow. You know, he, he left football, and then he ended up going to play baseball. He was a good baseball player. He did that because he wanted to. I mean, he didn't do it for money. He doesn't care, yeah. No, yeah he's, I'm rooting uh, for him. I still think oh, he's I, got a shot. Who doesn't like Tim Tebow? That guy's a great human being. Um, but this is what it's all about, you know, switching up your stadium into what, what you want, you know, and work backwards from amazing. What do you want to have? So what things do you need and want to have to what do you want to to do and who do you want to be yeah I mean, that's really really cool exercise it's right in the middle of the book like you can read the first two chapters of this book and get a lot out of it um i'm gonna up the ante on that yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna say that might be all you need to read because right. there's my second time through the book and i remember why i had sort of a bad taste in my mouth going through like the first third of it or like you know it, it's so impactful and then it just gets into so much detail minutia yeah. not to say it's not bad it might be too because it's our world and we just know that stuff like yeah. the back of our hand yeah. um but it just he's talking about websites and really you know granularities well like, he's got to be a, a remarkable systems dude and that's yeah. got, I, i'm sure that's what he talks about on a friday night when he's not being paid right i'm right. sure he's going into his systems and his efficiencies uh, his effectiveness, not his efficiencies, any, but he, but he gives you the recipe. What he wants you to have is a recipe for a better life. Here, that's yeah. what you're gonna get out of it. And even if you stay in your own world, you stay in your own stadium and make the changes that are, you know, stretching the role that you have, so you have more mobility, more freedom, uh, and you can design that lifestyle that you really want. You know, it's more happiness and lifestyle design is what I think this book's about. I, that's nail on the head, and and, and not only that but that you can do it with far less than you think you can, right. you know? Um, 
and it's taking that into account. If you change things, if you if you really take a step back and you start managing what you do differently, managing you know your your income, your processes, your systems, mm-hmm. um, you can go a lot further with what you have, which is cool. Yeah, I've seen people take a year off, travel the world for thirty thousand dollars. I know someone who did it, and that's rent and. In Miami, you know, you can get a small apartment for thirty thousand yeah. dollars. Like it's more expensive to be in Miami and just pay rent than it is to get creative and go all over the world and make that amount of money somehow. And it's possible. There's lots of ways to make money. But that's what I got out of it. What about you, man? The formula for a better life. I think the my favorite part was the fear definition. Like really defining the fear, making it known. I'll never get over every book that like reminds me of that as a, even though you're in your head, you're like, I know I could go broke. I know I can get a job until you write it out, until you get out of your head and really plan it out. It really, it won't, you won't make a move until you really define it. So that was the biggest part. And then I really love all the things about uh, productivity or just being active. And then that busy is just lazy because so many people just work, 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 but, and think they're being productive, but you got to really I'm going to leave you with this quote from Albert Einstein that he mentioned in the book that I thought was really awesome, because it's, and it's book-related. Reading after a certain age diverts the mind too much from his creative pursuits. Any man who reads too much and uses his own brain too little falls into lazy habits of thinking. And I never expected that from Albert, to say reading too much. <laughs> Albert! <you know? laughs> yeah. But yeah, that was really interesting. Well, you don't want to read and do, all read and no do. Yeah, you yeah. still got to put the ball in play. You know, you got to weaponize these books. That's what this podcast is all about. Right. If you want to kill a lot of time, these are about 10 hours a piece. <laughs> there you go. There's 300 hours. <laughs> right there, a third of a work year reading these books. But you need to weaponize the, the knowledge. That's what you do with it, yeah. yeah. To get a better life. And this is a way to do it. Great book. Awesome concepts. Beautiful. All, All right. right. What do we got for next week? Right on top. All right. So next week, we have uh, The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. Uh, this is one of those that's kind of been floating around. We've even referenced it. You know, I've seen some of his keynotes, and um, a lot of people swear by this book. So I'm really excited to jump into that. Yeah, he's tight. I love his stuff. I listen to him uh, and reread this book. I can't wait. Cool. Right. See you guys next week. All right.